We're live. Hey. Welcome to the Voyage of the Geek. Welcome back, Dan Miller. I'm Dave Scotland. We recovered from our catastrophic failure, <laughs> uh, technical failure last week, where we lost the first 28 minutes of the show uh, visually. Mm-hmm. We kept the audio because we recorded locally. But um, yeah, visually we lost it because we got greedy. And we tried to broadcast to YouTube and to Facebook at the same time. <laughs> Adjusting too many variables at once. Yep. Yeah. On a shitty um, machine that I built to just serve files. Mm-hmm. Um, but through the week, we upgraded the CPU and it's purling along now. And um, and we shouldn't have any problems with the broadcast. So, uh, fingers crossed. Our technical woes are behind us. How you been? How's your week? Oh, it's been pretty good. We've had two long weekends in a row. Mm. That's a bit of all right. Two wet long weekends. Yeah, true. But uh, two long weekends, and it's bloody, it's bloody amazing. It is. What a world we live in. It is. Imagine if you had four-day weeks. Yeah. There's a, um, there's a documentary that I watched um, only last week, but I think it's been out for a while. It's a, it's a new Michael Moore documentary Mm. um and i think it's called where to invade next what he does is he goes out into the world um to plant the american flag on the sovereign soil of other countries that are doing it way better than us in education and those things but mainly in education Mm. so um he's he's going and talking to people from countries that are just kicking the ass yeah yeah of, of of most countries and then they say things like, um, he, I think he, he interviews a bunch of workers from a factory, mm-hmm. um, and it could be in Italy, mm-hmm. either Spain or Italy, and mm. they're, they're, they're among some of the happiest workers on the planet, and it's because they get something like 14 weeks a year paid holiday, mm-hmm. and then if they have babies, they get six months paid holiday. Mm. They, get, they get all these features if at the end... Um, they work through the morning, they stop at some point, and then they go for two-hour lunches where they get in their car and they drive home and they meet the rest of their family. Yeah, yeah. And they sit down with nonna and uncles and everybody, mm. and they have lunch every mm. day. It's mm. like this, right? And then they go back to the... Uh, mm. Back to the warehouse. <coughs> and it's strange because he's asking these fashion, fashion icons, <coughs> you know, how do you... How do you make a profit? And they're, you know, because they're from a different culture, it's not about a profit. It's about happy life. And, and it's yeah, it's about yeah, exactly happy life. Where do you put your um, priorities? Yeah, and you know our Japanese cousins, you know, they're working pretty hard. You know, they're doing, you know, all of this stuff for their company, and they work for a huge for their country. Of, well, for their company. Oh, I suppose for they, their country. They do it for their country th- through their. <clears throat> they know that if they build their company strong. Mm then their country is strong. Mm. And if their country is strong, they all prosper. That's how you get a thousand of them doing calisthenics every morning in the, <laughs> you know, out in the yard because they actually want to be there. Mm. Um, yeah, no, it's always a bit interesting about, um, I think, the US. Yeah, some of the working conditions for our US cousins are a bit a bit ordinary. Mm. Um, I think, I don't know, for rates of pay, minimum wage, a bit of an issue. But things like... Um, yeah, maternity or even paternity leave, I don't think really yeah. exist. And they don't get holidays. Yeah, like he holidays, he falls over when someone says, <clears throat> well, they fall over actually when he tells them that in the in the states, 
there are there are no holidays. You don't mm. get four weeks a year. You don't get two mm. weeks a year. You don't get any time. Like mm. you, if you want to take two weeks off, you have to fund that. Mm. Right? Yeah. That comes out of your money. Mm. Um, we take for granted sometimes. Um, in Australia, we're we're quite lucky. I mm. think you know we get about four weeks a year annual leave. We mm. get we get sick leave, things like that. I think we're. I think we're moving towards the American model, which is scary. Mm. Uh, that capitalist model, where the the when the people that make the money from society are too close to the people that um, make the laws, mm. make the policies, mm. that's dangerous. Mm. Because then greed is the thing that's actually at the heart of your heart of your system. And I, at the moment, we're not there, but it's there. It's under the surface. It could be. It could. It could take a foothold and actually. But at the moment, there's enough checks and balances that you know we don't let that big business into. It's there, mm. but nowhere near uh, like certain other countries. <clears throat> it's that work to live or live to work mm. uh, type of thing. And uh, yeah, a lot of those European European countries have you know, a much more relaxed attitude. They've got it worked out, thing. man. <laughs> They've got it worked out. In, in Australia, we work for the almighty mortgage. Mm, um, that's true. We, we want to own property mm. and uh, no one can. The Australian so, dream, own your own house. So essentially, you own debt. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and through that, that's a system of control and you can go down that rat hole. But you go to other countries and quite literally, they work so that they can survive. Mm. You know, they work because they need money to buy stuff, but they don't, they don't buy stuff that they don't need and they don't buy... Um, they don't go into debt to such a degree that you're a slave to that process and you have to just keep working more longer hours longer hours mm. so the system's broken ours is nowhere near as broken as the states mm. but it's, it's pretty broken so uh talk to me you were through the week um knuckles deep in uh, ancient render farm uh space <laughs> tell me what you found out all right, so as we were discussing last week, um, I wanted to have a look at Tron. And the original. The original. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry, is there another one? Apparently there is. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, no, Tron the original, um, which is a fascinating thing. And uh, I think I saw it in the theatres and it was always one of those things that really left a mark on my... I don't know, impressions as a kid. It was so different to anything we'd seen. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Like Star Wars, same sort of a deal. Um, really impressive. And it kind of marks, you know, a bit of a turning, turning point, you know, with computer computer graphics and stuff. Mm. And um, then a little while later, I went and bought the DVD of it and I watched the making of yep. that was on there as well. And that was amazingly fascinating. Mm, it would have been. So um, I've done a little bit of a, you know, a research and had a little bit of a look into this just to start to tease apart a couple of the aspects about the making of it and how it was made. There's lots of things you could probably talk about, right? You can talk about, and we might do this perhaps sometime in the future with Rick, you know, talk about um, the narrative and the characters mm -hmm. and that. And in a lot of ways, and I don't want to talk about that too much, but I don't think that's the strong point of... Tron, right? The strong point is the the visual, the visual effects. Now, actually, now that I think about it, I suppose I'm a little bit hypocritical in some respects because I often complain about a film being a visual effects extravaganza yeah. without actually having any story. Mm. So, yeah, with that in mind, I don't know. 
I don't know, when I first saw it, I was just so impressed and I was just so amazed by it. So anyway, I've done a little bit of a research. I'm just going to kind of um, just check out a few, few things that uh, I think are pretty amazing about Tron. So um, I've got it all up here on the Mind Omo thing. So I'll just fire this up. Um, and I've made a new little Tron thing so that we can go in here and check it out. Um, so there's a whole bunch of topics here to, to sort of talk about. And I suppose, as I kind of alluded to before, I really wanted to talk about the people and the companies and the tech mm. rather than the story itself. Um, because there's loads of really interesting stuff that's going on here. Um, and what what year are we talking here again? We're talking here... Now, this will this will be the clue. We're, we're talking here around... Early 80s is 82. really... Yeah. Well, Tron is 82. That's yeah. when um, it actually happens. But... The story kind of starts a little bit earlier than that. Oh, does it really? So um, there's a couple of people here that I've listed that I think are some of the key players or certainly some of the most interesting players. And the first one is um, Stephen Lisberger. And um, so he's the key guy. He's the Tron guy, right? And then there's a couple of other people that come together. So like most of these things, they start sort of slow and it's, it's often a bit of a... Um, you know, it's a uh, perfect storm. You know, you've got to get all of these pieces pieces in the right yeah. place to, to for it to all come together. And you get something that's really impressive, right? So the first guy is um, Steven Lisberger. So he studies, studies animation, okay? And um, I've got here Cosmic Cartoon, which is his um, student animation piece. Nice. Um, so we'll just kind of flick, flick through it a little bit. And... Um, so this is um, using traditional animation techniques. For those who can't see it at the moment, might be listening on a podcast. It's a bit like a, a Terry Gilliam kind of a animation. Though Ter Terry Gilliam's a bit, bit more quirky and cartoony, but it's it's got that 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 kind of feel to it. Very two D in a three D world sort of thing. And then there's this sort of hyper color mm. stuff going on. So what we're looking at is sort of fantastic environments, you know, with crazy tripped out, you know imaginative spaces and, and this type of thing. And you might even, I think, in this little short piece, start to get maybe a bit of an idea of Tron or rather, you know, what his thought processes are and what sort of things he's interested in. Yep. So, yeah, it goes on for a while. There's this big vista, this landscape and all this trippy stuff happens. Um, anyway, he stayed up a long, long time, you know, late at night. Anyway, got a bit of a claim from the from the kind of school that he was going to, and so that's his first piece. So he does that. The next thing that he does, and this is this is also a little bit um, kind of amazing, because the next thing that he does is he makes Tron, but not Tron Tron. This is the the pre Tron, yeah, right. This is the uh, you know this is the um, this is the the thing that comes before Tron. So. What I want to talk about now is um, this little animation piece that's going on here. Can we maybe maximize the screen? Um, yep. Um, so um, this is um, so this is the, the 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 piece that he makes. Now this this person that's on the screen here, this character is Tron. Mm. It's Tron. Um, so he has this idea, um, Tron, and it's got this sort of glowing person, and then it's got. Um, the, the frisbee discs, right? The yep. light discs. Yep. So we're going to see those in a second. So, um, so a lot of the visual themes are there. That's right. And so this is this is I think something that's really interesting. And 
uh, is that these themes are there from the get-go. They're right there from the very start. <clears throat> and if you wanted to maybe analyze it, psychoanalyze it a little bit, I imagine it's it's to do with um, Mr. Lisberger himself. It, 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 this is just him. This is just his imagination. And thus, when you get to Tron, you're, you're, it's just a continuation of his thought process, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah. All right. So now the next important thing is, is what are you looking at here? This is a 2D animation. Mm -hmm. So what I now just want to quickly explain is how animations are, 2D animations are made. Yep. All right. So what you have to do is you have to draw a load of pictures. Obviously, people kind of know that. But and this is for people who don't know how this, this sort of traditional animation is made. These pictures are drawn on clear plastic sheets, mm -hmm. right? I don't know a cell. A cell. I don't know if they're actually plastic. I don't know what they are. <clears throat> but you draw a background and you draw a foreground and you draw a part of a character and a head and an arm. And then what you do is you stack all of those up, yep. right? Stack them all up on a rig yeah. that has a camera above it, okay? And then you press the button and then that takes a photo. Mm -hmm. And that's frame one. And then what you do is you've got another box full of these cells. There's mm -hmm. thousands of them yep. and you've got a list and you peel off two of them and you stick on a new one and you add another one. And this is the character's arms moving and all that sort of stuff. And then you take another photo and you rinse and repeat and you keep going on forever. Um, so what we're looking at here is a 2D animation set up on one of those rigs, mm -hmm. except the thing that's different, and this is called backlit animation. Yep. The thing that's different is that the cells are clear like like in the in the normal one yep. except that there's sort of a clear cell all the way through yeah okay so these glowing areas well you can see the black areas that's where the, the, somebody's just painted black stuff on the cell on the cell yeah but the the glowing areas is actually a, a, a window it's it's completely clear yep. all the way through yeah and then what you do is you stick in a thumping big light yep. underneath yep. right yep. so that's backlit mm -hmm. and you put in different colored lights and that's how we get the bloom is mm -hmm. is it's a photographic effect of the lens capturing that bright area next to the darker area yeah 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 and then you take a photo yeah so if we have a look you know and move through this um, see all of these these sort of um, these lens flares and mm -hmm. stuff. They're done like that because what you're actually looking at at any one of these frames is you're looking at one of those plates. Yep. And that's actually the, just this thumping big lights underneath yeah. the plate shining yep. through, right? And they're just natural lens effects mm. of the camera that's capturing it. Yeah. So you get that star glow effect. With a different lens, it could have been those square star glows that you get. Yeah. And, and yeah. sometimes you get the chromatic rainbow effect in the like a lens flare is is like a fingerprint to a lens mm. um it's unique to mm -hmm. that lens usually mm -hmm. um and so they would be playing i guess with lenses to to see the sorts of effects that they could come up with this is a pretty cool uh, um it's it's negative drawing yeah you're drawing yeah. in light you're drawing with light and also think that you could do some cool stuff because because you're doing this one frame at a time, you can be moving the lights around. Yeah. You can have an orange light here and a blue yeah. light there, yeah. and you could maybe divide up areas underneath so that the orange light only lights up the one half of the cell. And yeah. okay, so so he makes this, okay, and so and he didn't invent this. Lots of people are doing this. It's a sort of the the disco seventies. It's a sort of a theme that's kind of going around, and people are using this sort of technique. So he does this cool thing. And you can see here that he's got the, the, the guy whose name is actually Tron, and he's got the two discs. 
And um, all right, so then he makes that. Um, I don't know if that made him any money. Um, it says here that it's the it is a radio commercial that you know. So he, he made this cool thing, and then he you know kind of sells it to different people to yeah. use on their TV commercials and stuff. The next thing that he does um, is that obviously he thinks to himself, well, I better try and make some money here. So the next thing that he's going to make is a thing called Animal Olympics. Right. Okay, so Animal Olympics is a 2D cartoon, mm. uh, 2D animation of the Olympics with animals in it, right? So you got kangaroos and you yeah. got bears and they're all doing the Olympics, right? Okay, cool. Um, and this is happening in 1980. Now, I haven't done the research here, but because the Olympic Games was happening yeah. in 1980, yeah. you know, savvy business decision, I'll make the Animal Olympics, then I'll make this animation and then I'll sell it to the TV companies. And then when they're playing the uh, the Olympics on the telly, they can break and then they can play this. Okay, cool. Great business idea. Except, and I've forgotten, I've forgotten the, the, the problem. But the Russians do something stupid in 1980 and they piss off the Americans yes. and the Americans boycott. That's can you right. remember what the yes. story was? Yeah. No, the, the um, I know that the Americans boycotted. Um, was it? Was it nuclear prol proliferation, or was it? I can't remember, and I haven't researched. Yeah, it might have been that. I don't know if they did. I know that there was. I, I, you know, I think it happened later, um, when Reagan tried to shake up the uh, the arms race a little bit with. And then just totally made up Star Wars. Oh, I don't know what it, what, what it was. But, but anyway, yeah, yeah, America decided not to go. So they boycotted the Olympics. I think we boycotted, didn't we? Oh, well, yeah, we probably followed suit. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of respects, we're a bit of <laughs> bit of a lapdog. It's like, oh yeah, okay, all yeah. right, well we'll do it too then. Um, so anyway, so Steve's now in trouble because he's just made this cool Animal Olympics yeah. cartoon, yeah. and then nobody's going to want to buy it. Yeah. So that kind of sucks. Um, so anyway, what he's going to do is he's going to repackage that and he's going to sort of sell it off and he's going to make a little bit of money out of it. Um, now, what I've got here is Brad Bird. So one of the junior spotty um, in-between artists mm -hmm. who's doing all, he's drawing all of so those... he's not even a keyframer. No, no. So he's drawing all of those thousands of cells, the little, the inconsequential ones in between mm. is Brad Bird who's working on Animal Olympics. Yep. And Brad Bird, who gave us uh, Incredibles. Yeah, Ratatouille. Um, Ratatouille. Um, I think he was on The Simpsons. Yeah. Um, and he's been around for a while and he's I a genius it. when I it comes it. to animation. Yeah, yeah. Um, he can tell a story. His, his compositional um, palette decisions for Incredibles mm -hmm. is you, you could literally teach the craft. Mm just by watching yeah, that film. Yeah, too true. And then Ratatouille is probably a, a masterclass on top of that. A really mm. elegant, you know, um, story and really elegant uh, animation as well. Yeah. And there's a couple of other people that worked with him on that that um, go on to different things, Lion King and all sorts of other different things. So, again, it's just interesting how the, all of these people are kind of connected. So, anyway, there's Lisberger Studios and that's where he is. And that's where, and that's that's kind of where he is. So he's done that, and he's got a little bit of money behind him in Lisberger Studios from the selling off the Animal Olympics. And then what happens is that he goes to like SIGGRAPH or some sort of trade show, mm. and he sees computer animation. All right, so that's a little story connector point. But and and I'll come back to that little connector point in a second. But um, before that, um, before we go down that trail, 
He's also he's going to then connect up with these guys and he's going to make Tron, right? So that's we know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But what he has to do also is he has to get funding. And um, so he goes to Disney. Now, this is another rabbit trail which would be interesting to research, but I haven't actually done the, the full-on research. But what was Disney doing around about 1980? 1980, 1982? Yeah, big, big, there were big changes. I know that. There are big changes, and from what I understand is that, you know, back in the day, and I have, you know, truth mileage may vary here, but back in the day, Disney was doing um, Snow White. Yeah. You know, these big epic, This that's what Disney was, Yeah, right? You think of Disney, you think of Snow White, and you think of all of these type of um, animated things. But then, around about that time, they were doing Herbie Goes Bananas. Yeah. All right, so yeah, almost made for television stuff. Made for television stuff, and I think they were even around about that time making clip movies yeah. out of Herbie Goes Bananas. Yeah, so they're chopping up a pre- cannibalizing a previous Herbie. Yeah, to make the new Herbie. Yeah, and you know, and so anyway, they're kind of they're not at their highest. You know, they're not waxing at the no, moment. No, they're no. waning. Yes. right at the moment. Yeah, it, it was, was it was around that time they were struggling for identity. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure when Walt died. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, that's a good point. I'll bring it up. But um, I think it was the the early 80s when um, Eisner came on board. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Eisner, who took... Um, Walt Disney died in 1966. So he was actually quite... Mm. It was long before that. Mm, mm. Um but yeah, their their 2D empire was waning. Mm, Absolutely, mm. It was the competitors were doing it better. Mm. Um, they were spending money in the wrong places. But yeah, um, they had to. They had a lot of talent, but they weren't going in many good directions at mm. the time. Yeah. I'd really like to get a timeline happening of that and just sort of sort of plot because, uh, and I don't know the full story here, but somehow they hear that Steven Lisberger. They see his radio commercial thing, right? They see his Animal Olympic thing. He then goes to this trade show and he, he then sees these these cool animation things and then they believe him and they give him money somehow, Yep. right? So I don't know quite what the story is um, behind that, but um, I think, as we were kind of discussing, that I think, you know, Disney was looking for some way to get out of the doldrums yeah. or whatever and imagine this guy comes along and this is all new tech mm. right so this is computer animation the guys at disney they're familiar with animation so they, they, they talk the same lingo with this guy but this computer animation thing and they've probably seen tv ads with just a little smattering of computer animation on them um and then they take a punt they say all right we're going to put some money down and we're going to invest in this and mm. and see what happens so you know, good on them for for moving forward on that. But it, again, this is this perfect storm. It's just that he hits right when Disney's kind of at a low ebb. Yeah. You know, and and that's what starts to bring these things together. Yep. It was two years. Um, if they made Tron in '82, it was two mm-hmm. years later that Michael Eisner actually started as the uh, the head of the company, the the CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, because of like Tron was uh, considered a a good box office earner at mm. the time it wasn't too bad at all mm. but it was their 2d department that was just killing it and the parks weren't as mm. doing as well mm. um mm. and yeah the, he he reigned from what was it um 
84 to 2005. And in that time was The Lion King, was, mm. was uh, Aladdin. Mm. Um, they they put himself back on the map. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Made it nice and juicy for a big conglomerate to come in and buy it in the uh, in the mid-90s, I think it was. I think Coke bought it. Or did Disney buy Coke? Mm, I don't know. Mm. I, Not yeah. sure. Continue. All right, so that's Steve. So I've got a couple of other people in the list here, but now I want to go over to companies. All right. So there's a bunch of companies that I've got listed here, and these are the four companies that worked on the computer animation for um, for Tron. So these guys, and, and these are computer animation companies, in inverted commas, mm-hmm. um, and these are probably all that there is, right? There's no other. These are yep. these are VFX studios, yep. right? But they're computer VFX studios. But this is probably all that there is. So I just wanted to give you a bit of a quick um, check out of this one. This one is uh, interesting. This is um, this is Information International Incorporated, of course. <laughs> And their name is shortened to Triple I. But I, I just want to linger on Information International Incorporated. Yeah, they had Triple I first, and then they came up with that <laughs> to plug into it. No, no, no. My, my explanation <laughs> is is worse than, than yeah, yours, actually. Yeah. Mine, mine is worse than yours. Yeah, possibly yours is right. But, but what they were doing is that these guys had a room with a thumping big computer in it. Mm-hmm. And... They were then just hiring out the computer for yeah. anybody who wanted to do anything, yeah. right? And so that's why they're Information International yeah. Incorporated, right? Um, and so they've they got this thing, and I don't know, they're doing government jobs and the government wants to know the some of the hypotenuse on the other side of a, you know, atomic reactor or something or other. Yeah. So they're calculating all of this crap. But I don't know, somehow they must have got into um, graphics, I imagine, that, because they were doing a lot of simulations. All of these people are kind of doing a lot of simulations. And then maybe, you know, they needed to present their information, and that's when they started to get into graphics a little bit. Yep. Um, so that's Triple I. And now there's another company that I've got here um, called um, Magi. Magi? I, I, I know them as Mag- Magi. Magi? Yeah, they're they're big players in the in the history of anima- computer graphics and animation. Now their name, although it's Magi, isn't much better because it's mm. the Mathematical Applications Group Incorporated. Yeah. yeah. Now and and I suppose what I'm trying to highlight is these are really boring names. These are these are yeah. Magi. I suppose is a little bit more creative than, but they, they, I think that these these guys are not. No. Film creative people. They're a bunch of guys yeah. who wear white coats. They're yeah. technical. You Absolutely, know, engineers. Like some of this stuff's been done in clean rooms. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Um, so what I've got here is th- the two demo reels from these guys. So I just wanted to have a quick, um, quick look at the demo this is, reels. This is 1980. This is 1980 yeah, and 1981. Nice. So one of these two could possibly be what Steve um, Lisberger actually saw yep. in the in the thing. So, yep. so really, I just want to see you know the sort of things that are going on. Um, so this is Magi. Mm-hmm. Okay, so flying logos. Yep. Um, vector art. They've got a vector car going on. Yep. I'll keep moving through. Notice this sort of glowy kind of a... Mm. They've got that same sort of a theme going on. Um, 
um, I don't know, some images, very blocky Minecrafty images of the world. Um, this thing is some sort of oil rig digging machine that okay. they've modeled. <clears throat> some spaceships, of all things. Um, extrusions. Yeah, more extrusions and flying logos. So, could potentially, right there, could potentially be the Superman opening <laughs> opening sequence. And they've got more of them, this time with colours. <laughs> like, whoa, we can do colours as and well. And you can just imagine at this time, there's a bunch of guys, as you say, in, in, in coats. Yeah. And there'd be some guy in a, in a cubicle 40 feet away, jumps up and goes... I've, I've worked out colour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, it is like I just that. added purple. Yeah, yeah. No, it's totally like that. It's totally like that. And when the guys actually start making the, the film, mm. you know, they're they're putting through a lot of requests to these tech guys. Yeah, yeah. And the guys then have to go and invent the tech, yeah, yeah, you know. Absolutely. So, um, and, and a lot of the, and see, there's lots of logos going on here, right? Mm. So loads of FM96, loads of, loads of logos. So they've obviously, yeah. they've got this sort of vision for... Um, um, for advertising is mm -hmm. the is the kind of so that's a, that's that's magi. We'll just take a quick look at Triple um, I and just sort of see what they're up to at around about the same time. And they've got this, which is their it's quite famous. Yeah, yeah, their juggler. And for 1980, this is pretty pretty serious stuff, right? I think it won maybe maybe a SciTech award um, a few years later. But yeah, it's considered a quite a um, technical achievement. Yeah, because they've got a, a they've modelled a character, they've got it rigged somehow. Yeah. Um, the shading is nice. The uh, um, notice that the three D objects actually have highlight and shadow sides to them, yeah, like the actual yeah. fall offs and everything. Um, some complicated sort of geometric thing. The Utah teapot, very famous three D model. Uh, an egg, this is, I suppose, uh, texturing, mm -hmm. right? So they're mapping texture onto the egg. Yep. Um, this one is kind of... Um, this one is... So there's some sort of a freak out, sort of a tunnel thing going on here. But um, what comes after it is important. That. Uh-huh. That's the MCP. Yep. Okay, so this is a vector face that yep. they've created in the in this demo, and and you know what happens in the in the Tron movie? That's There's right. the MPC, yeah. Yeah, you know, which is the which has, has this vector face. Yeah. So these are this is Magi. So, all right. So anyway, animated textures, cool, cool, cool. Well, this is Triple um, I. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Yep, yeah, I'm right. Triple I. Um, all right. So um, that's a bit of a look at these two companies. There's a couple of others. That's uh, digital. Um, uh, <laughs> there's another company that's that unfortunately named themselves Digital Effects Studio. So imagine you type that into Google to try and research Digital Effects Studio. You just get a storm of stuff that's not them yeah. <laughs> because it's just a generic uh, search term. Yeah. Um, and there's so another they one. named their car car. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the car. This this model Ford will be called the car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then there's another group called um, Robert Abel Associates, and they've got another, this is their demo from around about 1982. Um, so anyway, you can see. Uh, so we've definitely seen a lot of vector stuff, a lot of line work, less um, less effort being made on on I, you know, 
ray trace shadows and no uh, shadows textures. It's all, all any of this. it's all light work um, on vector lines. Yeah, yeah. So they've got a kind of a paper airplane flying around, and even the the airplane is just a really dense mesh. Yeah, is I'm it? Pretty sure. Yeah, as it comes closer, it loses transparency. Yeah, because you're seeing through the mesh. Okay, so, and they've got a sort of a landscape going on, and then there's some stuff uh, later on with some people talking in this, this about. So, again, you can kind of see, they're all sort of focused on ads, really, is what they're, they're focused on with this stuff. So, all right, so that's all of them. So the next thing that we, we'll just fold all this up, pop over here, and we're going to have a look at um, this guy, Richard Taylor. So Richard Taylor is the next person that kind of comes into contact with um, Stephen Lisberger. And Richard Taylor is going to be the um, the visual effects soup. He's the visual effects supervisor. Um, I've got here his website, which has got um, loads of really cool images um, from Tron. And you can see some of the stuff that we've already looked at from uh, the computer graphics that were floating around at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, now, here's the next important thing, is that we just need to sort of understand who um, who he is. Um, so, he started off um, doing, uh, I've got up here, multimedia for, um, and graphics, uh, multimedia light shows for rock concerts. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, so that's where he's working first, and he's doing so his creative stuff, and he's also getting a team together. You know, he's eventually going to become a visual effects supervisor, mm -hmm. right? So he's doing all that, that type of stuff. Then, and this is really important, is that he goes and works for Able uh, and Associates. So that's one of the, the groups that we were just looking at, right? Those are the guys with the paper airplane. Um, he then goes and works on the, the models and stuff for Star Trek, which it just comes out just before Tron. Cool. And a lot the of the motion picture, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and a couple of the people that work on Tron actually work on Star Trek. There are some effects in the motion picture in Star Trek that look very similar to some of the stuff that was going on in those showreels before. Yeah, yeah. I've got a feeling the original motion picture, Star Trek motion picture, had some kind of digital coup. There was something that they did in that film that used digital. It could have been... No. I was going to say the title sequence, but I've got a feeling the first digital title sequence was Superman. Mm. I, haven't, I haven't checked it out, but I know that lots of people that are in this space mm -hmm. are working on Star Trek before and there's another guy down here we'll, we'll check out in a sec mm -hmm. um so he works at the, the what you know he basically he then what goes on becomes the creative director at international you know information international incorporated <laughs> and then after that he works at magi right so ultimately richard taylor he's the he's worked at all of these places yeah right yeah so this is another part of this um perfect storm where you've got to get the right people in the right yep. place at the right time yeah so we've got Steven Lisberg, he's got the idea and he's got a bunch of money from um, Disney. We've got Richard Taylor um, and um, he's going to be the visual effects supervisor. So he's going to pull it all together. Yep. We've got a couple of other people in the list here that I just wanted to just check out while we, we're on there. Sid Mead, who you may or may not know much about. But if you type in and go and look at his um, artwork. Um, when it comes to world building. There's yeah. not many that are in the same sentence or paragraph as this gentleman. Yeah, yeah. Um, he is one of the design elite. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to futuristic worlds or alternative worlds, sci-fi worlds. He he is just an incredible 
we you could say that he's an illustration artist but it is so far from where the accolade should sit mm. like he's just one of the best designers mm. that of of the century mm. uh, gets a lifetime time achievement award he works on tron he's just finished doing blade runner mm-hmm. right um, and he goes all the way up to Elysium. He works, so he's got this sort of lifetime achievement award. He's had his hands in quite a lot of stuff over the years. Um, it's this classic sort of graphic design mm. stuff that comes out of I don't know the eighties. They're all using airbrushes and stuff to yep. do all of this stuff, right? Lots of reflective metallic. Yeah, finishes, chrome. Everything's chrome. chrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So anyway, they've got people like Sid Mead, um, and I assume this Disney bring him in somehow. Um, so they've got some really great people working on this stuff few other um uh interesting people um there's uh, a couple of others frank seraphine who i've got here and um frank is going to do the the sound effects and again this is this is another connection is that frank has just finished doing star trek mm-hmm. so he's, as soon as he's done star trek he then just goes on to tron um so we're gonna have a look at him i'll come back to him right at the very end um and then there's another person, which is Wendy Carlos, and she's going to do the music. So I just want to give you a bit of a sample of um, some of the music from Tron. So we're just going to have a short clip. There's this thing here that's got... Um, these are just little little tiny clips. So um, we'll just play one, which is this one I've chosen. very uneasy isn't it and it's all done on synthesizers yeah yeah right so there's loads of loads of different tracks and and she does about half of the half of the music tracks and there's a bunch of orchestra stuff here but um half of it's done on synthesizers Mm, mm. so starting to bring this um all together we've got computer graphics happening yep by little guys in white coats. By little guys in white coats. And now we've got synthesizers as well. And yep. synthesizers are still in their infancy. They've right? been they've been around for a while, but they were like the plaything of a really unique sort of computer go- geek. Yeah, yeah. You know, Again, they're, they're, they're these giant room-sized things yeah. with cables everywhere. Yeah. And, Played and- with by people that probably aren't musos, that are more... Techno. Engineers. Yeah. Techos. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then eventually the musos got hold of it, and this is around this time. Yeah. So uh, Wendy Carlos goes on to do um, the soundtrack for um, Clockwork Orange. Oh, yes. Which is also a very uneasy soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. If you ever listen to that, yeah, it's a yeah. lot of out of tune. Yeah, um, there's, there's certain chord progressions that actually uh, the human condition is is made very uneasy with, and, yeah. and they use them in horror movies all the time. Yeah. Um, there's there's energy, there's positive energy, and they mm. use it in a lot of uplifting house and trance and stuff like that. They'll use the the positive energy chord progressions, mm-hmm. but there's negative ones mm. as well. And if you strike these, and Bar- old Boris Karloff movies and things like that, they did it on the big grand organs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, didn't they? yeah, yeah. Cool. So yeah, if you can remember that, you know, it's got this grinding. It's got this sort of you know hard. Yeah. You know. Anyway, again, this is done on Moog synthesizers, some of the first synthesizers in the world. So, so yeah, it, the, this is really a super high-tech, really close to cutting-edge yeah. sort of a production so far. Yeah. 
Um, and you're right, it's a perfect storm. Like there was in- innovation, mm-hmm. there was um, uh, the right people, mm. the right budgets, the right monies, mm. the the right things happened before as a prequel. Mm. And yeah, it's mm. it's an incredibly fortuitous moment in time mm. that someone took advantage of. Mm. Okay, so I've got one more, which comes under this little trivia pack here. The co-writer. This is um, Bonnie McBird. Bonnie McBird. Now, Bonnie McBird is going to write the actual story mm-hmm. after Steve's given her a couple of ideas or a first draft or something rather. Now, what's important is that she's going to hang out with um, another guy um, who I can't see easily in this big block of text that I've made for myself. Um but he's a computer... Alan Kay. Alan Kay. Thank you very much. Alan Kay is... And she actually marries Alan Kay in the end, I believe. Um, but Alan Kay is actually a computer... He's one of these lab-coded techno-science <coughs> computer dudes. Yep. Right? So he actually knows what he's talking about. Yep. When it, when, and so... And this is one of the sort of funny things that they sort of say in the, um, in the thing. When are they talking about bits and users... And um, I don't know any other technical jargon in there. It's actually real technical jargon, and you know none of the actors actually have a actually, and they even admit this themselves. Yeah. They even have a clue what all of this stuff is Absolutely, all about. Yeah, but it's all real world stuff, and it's grounded in this real world serious stuff. Yep. Right. So that's another another little you know piece of the puzzle that comes together that yep. that holds it all together. Um, and then the other cool thing that they say here is that because McKay is actually a uh, programmer dude who has access to supercomputers mm. and user terminals, right? When um, Bonnie is writing with him, they go down to his lab and they don't write it on a piece of paper. They type it into a computer terminal. Oh, really? All right? Yeah. And so Tron is probably the very first computer, uh, very first film with the screenplay is written, it's written on, on, a computer. on a computer. That's sick. <laughs> I love that stuff. So the, the, it's actually written on a computer. Mm. So we got the synthesizers, we got the computer animation, and it's actually written on a computer. And I, there's a kind of a funny story here where when they pr- they print it out, they make sure that they have the right font so it looks like it's written on a typewriter, so they don't freak anybody out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. So up and down the line, everywhere, you know, it's all it's all super tech. So. Um, what I now want to do is I want to go and actually look at the the, the tech, right? Um, so there's going to be a um, a bunch of animators and a bunch of so we've got a bunch of designs and we've got a story, um, and now we want to bring it together inside the computer. So that's the next thing that we want to do. Um, so we've got it at our disposal. We've got um, Magi. We've got Triple I. Blah 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 blah. So let's go and have a look. Um, Excuse me again, I'm still a bit crook. So, um, Magi, down here. Um, so, first of all, uh, we'll start actually, we'll start with I because they have this. Can we maximise the screen? Because this is a little bit hard to see otherwise. The this, Foonly. This is the Foonly, right? The Foonly <laughs> F1. <laughs> Look at that. That is magnificent. Yeah, okay. So first of all, Foonly, those, see those big white tiles? Yeah, they come, they must come with those machines because every every <laughs> yeah, time you see the, yeah. the computer room from well, that from that decade, they have those tiles. Well, like you say, they had to have this um, clean room that they were in, right? 
So anyway, this is the Foonly F1. Now, this is a supercomputer. Yep. Okay. And um, it's called Foonly because of the guy who invented it or made it is named Foonly. Yep. An important thing to sort of understand here is that this is not something that you go and purchase, right? You, just, you don't say, mm. I'll have a Foonly F1. Can you send it down to us next Tuesday? Yeah. You yep. have to make one of these things. You've got to build it. Yeah, these, yep. are, these are sort of custom-made things. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're probably always breaking, and there's some stories in here that the guys are talking about. Um, there's, a, there's a classic one about the Navigator, right? Um, <laughs> and the guy says, the, the guy who's one of the engineers, they dropped a spanner inside the, the one of the, the, the things, one of the computer things, and that shorted the shit out of everything. And he can remember, they're, tr- they're frantically trying to rebuild it. You can't sort of reorder parts. Mm-hmm. They have to remake it again. And he, 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 they're working on Flight of the Navigator, which comes just a bit after Tron. Yep. And he's sort of, <laughs> he's driving to work past Flight of the Navigator billboards yeah, yeah, saying, yeah. opening 7th of yeah. May. And, and they haven't even worked yeah, out how to do it yet. Yeah, and he's like, oh shit. <laughs> 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 Maybe opening yeah. 17th of May. Yeah. So anyway, okay, so there's a supercomputer. What we're looking at here, somewhere in amongst all of that stuff is the actual computer, the actual sort of CPU thing. Uh, but a lot of it is um, storage. Um, I.O. Yeah. So there's a lot of, lot of things here for those who are listening, you know, at home. <laughs> kind of looks like a, it looks like a laundromat almost. It does. Right? It looks like a, um, it looks like the fridge aisle, <coughs> the fridge and stove aisle at Harvey Norman or a department store with, uh, and it's just the white goods, except yeah. they're grey. Yeah. Yeah. But all sorts of manners of cabinets and, and sp- Spinning drum hard drives <laughs> yeah. and things like that. Yeah. All right. So that's what it is. Um, <clears throat> now, let's go and have a look at the stats of these things. So the Foonly F1. Um, here it is. So it had <laughs> two megabytes of memory. <laughs> now, I just remember. That's it's the room size. It's the size of a room. And a big room. <laughs> it's a big room. Like half a tennis court. So there's chairs and things. People walk up and down. So it's got two megabytes of memory. Yeah. Okay, so that's RAM. Yeah. It's two big megabytes of RAM, uh, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> it has a 330 megabyte disk storage, which I assume is equivalent of a hard drive, but it's probably some sort of, I don't know what it is. I have no probably idea. Probably magnetic tape. Possibly a tape internal. I don't know what it is. But it's, um, so it's only got... Um, yeah, 330 megabyte hard drive. Mm-hmm. I mean, my hard drive at home is like the spare one that I yeah, have is yeah. like in terabyte. It, yeah. It won't be long before that's not big enough to put Windows on. <laughs> yeah. And all my software. Well, you know, one of the, the tech things I was reading was that one of these, these machines probably can't run Windows. No, know? it wouldn't be able to. No. There's no way. Not even some of the early primitive windows would be able to run on that. That's the exponential curve of power that happened uh, towards the end of the 80s. Mm. Um, yeah, there's nothing running on this stuff here. <laughs> Although I saw something on Facebook the other day. There's a there's a car yard in some Eastern Bloc European country currently being run by a Commodore 64. <laughs> And has for the whole time, uh, like the whole awesome. period, all of the books and all of the accounting stuff, everything, everything's been run through a Commodore sixty four. No oh, need to update. I love that. Ain't broke, don't fix That's it. That's it. <laughs> all right. So the next thing is that it's got eleven um, eleven hundred megahertz <laughs> is the speed. 
That's not a typo. <laughs> no, no, it's not a typo. That's a real number. So what I wanted to do is to play you, because you can hear 1100 That's megahertz, right. Yeah. right? So it's within your hearing range. So <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to play you 1100 megahertz mm-hmm. to, to hear it. Um, what you need to do, well, first of all, it's going to be very high pitch um, and annoying. <laughs> so be warned, yeah. spoilers. Uh, very high pitch and annoying. Um but if you can kind of break it down in your mind into little granular parts, you can get some idea of how fast the actual PC is yeah. ticking over, right? Okay, so here we go. Ready? So I'm going to turn it up slowly. Can you hear that? Mm-hmm. Oh, we can hear it. Yeah. All right. So we don't need to do it too much of that. So we're, we're, we're talking about a... Um uh, an oscillation yep. that is in within the hearing realm of a human. Yes, if this was done. Yeah. 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 So in theory, if you were in that room, that's what you would hear. <laughs> because if something is working at that at that hertz, in theory you should hear it because it should be within your range. Well, because it cycles, isn't it? We're well, talking it, about it cycles, but it cycles of like electrons going through the CPU. Yeah. So you probably can't hear that. Yeah. But that's what it sounds if you turn it into an actual audio signal. Awesome. Now, the thing is, how fast does your computer go today? Yeah. And it's measured in gigahertz. That's right. And it's not one gigahertz. It's like three gigahertz. Yeah. All right. So this is orders of magnitude. Mm. There's no way you could hear something. It's like this dog whistle on the, you know, from the fourth dimension. You never, you can't hear that that high, right? Um, so that's the, the machine that they're running this thing on. Um, and I've just got a little quote here. This is from the flight of the navigator, but, um, I think it's interesting. Um, since the Foonly had only enough disk storage to hold the frame being computed and the frame being printed, the numbers, uh, worked out like 30 seconds of film at 24 frames per second works out at... 720 images each computed and printed at 6000 by 4000 pixels 6k yeah so they so that's that's actually that's impressive that's impressive right so they're not rendering out um 320 by 240 jpegs no, they, right they're, they've gone they've gone big um that's big res and I can only imagine they would be going big res because of degradation through the optical printing process. Yeah, because part of this up here somewhere, I don't know where, and I'm just going to guess this this thingy or or something else, this piece of machinery up here actually is a projector that's going to project onto film yep. so that you can then take it then to down to the down the yep. street to that next process we talked about earlier with the lights underneath the So it's DI, like it's your you're talking about um Conversion. You're, yeah, you're yeah. going digital analog conversions yeah. onto traditional film. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then it goes through, once it's on film, it then has to go through optical printing for visual effects and blooms and blurs. And and it gets stacked up with the actors yeah. and everything on that table and then they take it one frame at a time. Yeah. So that's really, yeah, this will, when we bring this all together, this is a handmade... Animation. Animation. It's yeah. a handmade 2D animation in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. Um. All right, so that's the uh, the Foonly up at um, Magi. They have their own thing, um, which is the Perkin and Elmer Systems 3240 <laughs> computer. 
And it's attached to a couple of other bits and pieces. This Celero DFR 4000 is the actual machine that that projects it onto the film and then they, they, they essentially oh, yeah. print out yeah. cells. You know, they print out whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but their machine is not much better. You know, it's um, two megabytes of memory and it's got two 80, mil, uh, 80 megabyte hard drives. Um, so, you know, if we go back to here again, also, these are all of the, the storage. So once you've rendered out your shot that you want, or you've created a model, mm -hmm. you then have to burn it onto this tape, this, um, this tape. Um, and, you know, then it goes onto these, these hard drives so that the, the PC, the, the computer, the CPU can get it and can manipulate it or whatever it wants to do. And um, some uh, sort of tech specs I've got is that there's about 10 frames, mm -hmm. 10 to 15 frames stored on these um, mm. these things. Wow. And there's 720 for, what did they say, 720 for 10 seconds? Yeah, yeah. So they're going to have an awful lot of these. Mm. Um, quick digression story. When I was doing work experience when I was a kid, doing work experience in school, I liked computers because I'd seen Tron and all of this other stuff. So, I, so then they said, "What do you want to do for your ex work experience?" And I wrote, oh, "Computers, yeah. something, computer, something." And so somehow they worked it out. And what they did is they sent me down to the Bureau of Stats. Yeah. Okay. Here in Canberra, in Australia, the Bureau of Stats, and they had one of these friggin' things. Yeah. And it was just like this, right? And see, there's a little terminal over here, right? There's a little typewriter with with paper sort of spooling out the back of it. Yeah, yeah, right? This yeah. is a classic computer that you yeah. sort of see in films and stuff. So anyway, when I went in there, I, my job was to I hang out with these two guys who must have been 20-year-olds, yep. right? And our job was to fetch magnetic tapes Yep. When the master control program wanted yeah. them. Yeah. So there'd be this constant spool of gibberish that'd go up the screen. Yeah. And every now and again, one of them would be like, you know, something, and I couldn't read it or tell. But anyway, yeah. one of the dudes would say, hey, yeah, yeah, here we, we need this tape. We yeah. need this tape. Or machine code. Yeah, yeah. Or, or some sort of nonsense machine code. So um, then they'd wander off, and they'd get the tape, and they'd bring it back, and then they'd do something, and then they'd send it off. And, and it was this massive, big process going on. And anyway, I'll, I'll conclude the story with the fun bit at the end, is that eventually they said, all right, young Dan, you've seen what we do. And I'm, yeah, yeah. He says, all right, here's a new tape. Here's a new tape. They need a new tape. This one. And they write down the number. B1776947B. <laughs> go into the storeroom and find it. Yeah. And I say, oh, okay, all right. So I go into the storeroom. There's this big, cold empty cavernous storeroom with a thousand metal filing cabinet things with a thousand of these tapes yeah and um being a young fellow when walking in there my eyes nearly jumped out of my freaking head because at the australian bureau of statistics the inside of that storage room was plastered with centerfold playboys <laughs> Every square centimetre yeah. of yeah. the inside of that room yeah. had centrefolds from Penthouse and yeah. Playboy all through it. That was their that was their real estate. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine that today? No. Bizarre. And, and me, this young, young, yeah. you know, some guy <laughs> turns up from school, you know, and it's like, yeah, we'll do work experience. <laughs> yeah, send him into the Playboy room. That'll be funny. <laughs> 
hilarious. Anyway, um, oh, another cool story is my dad used to work with with a lot of these. I used to get a lot of these tapes, so I was always playing with these tapes. Mm. We used to have have loads of them. I used to do all sorts of creative crap with them. All right, so next part of the story is we have uh, Magi and Triple I. And they're going to both make um, parts of the movie, but they're not going to make the same parts of the movie, right? Mm. They're going to divvy this up. So what we have to have to sort of discuss now is how the modelling was done for the various objects that you're going to see in the movie, right? Now, up here at Magi, their modelling system is a Boolean modelling system. Mm-hmm. So what that means is, for those who don't know, is you're going to take a a simple object. It's going to be a sphere or a cube or or some other a cone, some mm. other geometric shape that can be described with maths. Mm. All right, so they're easy to make. You know, um, so imagine. But if you want a more complicated shape, the way that you have to do it is you have to add lots of these things together. So imagine you had a cube, and then you put through the cube a cylinder, mm. and you you somehow pressed a, a magic button inside the computer that made the two things become one, mm. and you'd have a cube with two cylinders that stick out the ends. Yeah. Okay, and you've got now a more complicated shape. Boolean uh, relies on an operand, yeah, a, an A and a B operand. And, yeah. And you either subtract B from A, you add B to A, or you intersect and you take take on a new shape from where they where they intersect yes so yes. that you could throw away all the rest of it but only be left with where the two things intersect the the common area to yeah. both of them yeah all right so you could make a cube and if you put the cylinder through it and then you did a negative operation a subtraction mm-hmm. it'd be like drilling a hole through yeah. the cube yeah okay so that's how the modeling is done up at magi mm-hmm. so if you think about the light cycle right yep. the light cycle is made solely through Boolean operations. Mm-hmm. So they did the tanks, the recognizers, and the light cycle. Um, have I got here? Yeah, this is going to be really hard to see for people at home. But this is the Boolean operation building the light cycle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can see that there's loads of geometric shapes, and then more geometric shapes are then added to it yep. or subtracted from it mm-hmm. and and that leaves you with the the common yeah i can see like we use we rarely use booleans because they're notorious for <laughs> for corrupting all yeah, sorts yeah, of things yeah yeah screws up um, but you can see that if if that is the only tool you have yeah that you would just m- m- manipulate your thinking your creative thinking mm. to use that as a almost like a a chisel process mm-hmm. where, say, for instance, you're a woodworker and I can give you a chisel any shape or a drill mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. shape you can possibly think of. Yeah. Um, it's like a milling machine, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And, 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 or something. Yeah. And uh, the operand A is mm-hmm. the shape even after 20 other uh, mm-hmm. um, processes. And then operand B is whatever I want to cut out of or add to that process. And yeah. if you shift your thinking, you can sort of see how they could come up with this. Yeah. Yeah, so that's how they did it. And that's how they modelled, um, as I said, the light cycle, the tank, mm-hmm. and the recognizer. The recognizer is pretty easy to model, as you can imagine, because it was all these separate objects that just sort of floated around together. Mm-hmm. However, if we pop down to triple I, 
they're using polygon modeling. Okay. Now, we already saw from their demo reel that face that they produced, yeah, which yeah. was just made of... So what they're doing is they're creating points in space, yeah. and then they're joining those points together with lines, and then that, that makes a surface, yeah. and, and that's how they do it. So what they produce is the solar sailor. Yeah. All right? And you remember that it's got those big curved sails. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to make that with the Boolean operations. You can only make that as a sheet of polygons in a nice curve. Yeah. Yeah. They do Sark's Carrier. Right? Remember Sark's Carrier? The name rings a bell. It just looks like an aircraft carrier, but tilted on its side. <clears throat> Quickly, I'll, I'll, I'll Google it up for you. Um, S-A-R-K-S. Sark's carrier. Oh, okay. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, it's big and it's quite complicated. Mm -hmm. um, you can see here from some of these images. See, see, that it's really involved. There's lots of stuff going on with it. Yep. Um, there we are. There. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was that was modelled by um, by these guys, Triple mm -hmm. um, I, uh, and they do the MCP, MCP. the face yep. at the end. All right. Now, the next in interesting thing is um, animation, because that's what we're going to have to do next. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so the way that the animation was done is that the they would storyboard up a bunch of stuff, and then they would have to graph out where they want the object to move through space. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit like doing the keyframing process in traditional animation, where you set a keyframe, and you set another keyframe, which is a pose, right? And then somebody draws all the pictures in between. So what they were doing is they would set a a key position, mm. which is an XY position in space, with the rotations. They'd set another one, which is what they wanted it to end up at. But to calculate all the in-betweens, because that'd be all these weird numbers mm. and you wouldn't be able to do it in your head, <clears throat> they'd have to then send that off to the actual the Foonly F1, yeah, 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 and yeah. then some programmer dude would write up a little thing to, yeah. to work out curves mm. on graphs, and then that would then spit out uh, a big list of giant yeah. list of numbers, and that yeah. would be all the little in-between segments. Yeah. Now, so that's how that's, that was done. But there's a thing, and that is that the Boolean modeling process was a lot simpler to manipulate. Okay. Because the computer only really had to remember sphere plus cube plus yeah. rectangle, job done. Yep. Stick them all in a pile, job done. Yep. So if you think about it, the tank, the recognizer, and the light cycle are all doing all this crazy animation. They're cruising mm. through the world, they're curving, they're doing skids, and they're yep. sliding, and they're twisting, and everything. But if you think about... The Solar Sailor mm. and Sark's Carrier, all they do is just slowly move forward. Yep, yep. The Solar Sailor, the most energetic thing the Solar Sailor does is it switches from one yep. beam to another beam. And that's because it was just harder for the computer to manipulate all of those vertex points in space mm. and it had a sort of a detrimental effect on the, on, the, on the animation that you could do with it. So there's only one um, part left to quickly discuss here and that is... These uh, is it these guys Digital Effects Studios, um, yeah, Digital Effects Studio, mm -hmm. the generic Digital Effects Studio, they made Bit. If you remember the Bit, mm. um, 
So that was the guy who says, yes, 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 no, no, no. Um, and if you remember what he is, he's like two geome geometric shapes together, mm -hmm. but they morph. Yeah. So if you think about it again, they've they've come up with some slightly different technology from what everybody else has, mm -hmm. you know, because the recognizer, or well, perhaps that's not such a good a good example, but the light cycle and the tank don't really change shape, mm. right? They don't morph. So anyway, they've they've got that that down pattern. So that that's what they bring to the party. All right, so all of those things are then animated and then rendered. And then they're all stacked up, cell by cell by cell, yep. on the the two D optical yeah <clears throat> on the two D animation photographic um, rig, mm -hmm. and then they just push, 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 take photos. So, a couple of little trivia points I want to say just to sort of bring this all together. Um, this one is is really cool here. Uh, this is now. I'm going to have to talk about a bunch of stuff where I don't know actually what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? So That's fine. Nothing new You're there. completely in the right place. Nothing new. Nothing new. So I'm going to make up how film is made, right? So the details of how this actually works is not important, but the, the moral of the story mm -hmm. is the important bit, right? So how film is made. I don't know how film is made. But anyway, they needed to have some film for mm -hmm. their their film um so i imagine what they have is they have this film on a giant spool and then it goes through a bath of chemicals and it gets spooled up on the other end and that's to make it light sensitive and to yep. do all of that crap something like that has to happen yep. right and anyway it goes through this spool and it goes through this process one end out the other end one end out the other end now i'm imagining now I'm bullshitting imagining bullshitting that it takes weeks and the bath of chemicals that they put it through kind of runs out of chemical juice mm -hmm. you know it loses its power <clears throat> or whatever and they have to tip another bucket of chemicals in there right and what is difficult again i'm making most of this this up this is mostly bullshit here but the story the, the anyway is it's difficult to keep that chemical bath consistent mm. and so it's difficult to keep the film quality consistent yeah Especially if you're making two kilometers worth of film, the stuff at the start yeah. might not have the same light properties as the stuff at the end. It's mm -hmm. very close, but it's not identical. Yep. Okay. So it's all bullshit and I don't know. But the end result is when the film company sends you your film for your film, your raw film, they, they have a number on each of the boxes. Okay. Box number one, box number two, box number three. And when you're meant to be doing your filming, you're meant to take out box number one yep. and do the filming on that. And that's meant to be at the start of the movie. Oh, I got you. And then when you do box, you know, when you need some more film, you use box number two for the next bit of the movie so that you're moving through those boxes in chronological order. Mm. Because if you suddenly grab box number 76 and put it next to box number two yep. in the film, there'll yep. be a jump in the film quality. Yep. The light and the colour will just flicker. Now, the Tron guys didn't know that oh okay so they got their boxes delivered from kodiak or whoever it was that sent them their film and they said ah, yeah, yeah, yeah sweet let's just rip into this so they just started grabbing <laughs> random boxes yeah. <laughs> all yeah. right so they, then they made a bit of film here and a bit of film here a bit of film there a bit of film there end result is that when they started to watch it it had these flicker issues that it would suddenly blink and it would suddenly be a slight shade darker or yeah. a slight shade more contrast. Yeah. And and every time they'd cut, there'd be a slight blink going on. And um 
And in the end, instead of calling it a problem, they made it a feature. Yep. All right. So they put little audio stingers. Yeah. So every time that happened, they'd put a little... Yeah. And it'd be like a, a glitch in the matrix, yep. you know. And that became an effect. It, it, it became a thing. Yeah. Now, this leads me to my next thing is, is about filmmakers um, and how they should stop fiddling with their fucking films. <laughs> because when they, they released the DVD... Oh, yeah. They they fixed it. They fixed it. Oh, did they yeah. take the sound out? Oh, I don't know if they took the sound out. That's a really good question. <laughs> Otherwise, there's these, yeah, these yeah, headless yeah. sounds all yeah, the way for through. for no reason. The, yeah. So they fixed it. So That's disappointing. It is disappointing. So do you think that's a company? Does it, that would have been Disney that made that decision. Uh, I don't think a director would have had that much pull. No, I do think it's actually the 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 creatives on the ground. It might have been Steve here or Richard that actually made that yeah. decision. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, don't, don't know. <clears throat> I suppose. I it, would suggest. Well, there you can convince somebody that it's needed. Well, my vision of it is this: is that well, their vision of it didn't include all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. So when they see it, yeah. they're like, "Oh man, we fucked up so bad yeah, on that, yeah, right? Yeah. Got to get rid of that." But the audience me. actually like it, right? Because our vision is not their vision. Our yeah. vision is what they presented to us. Yes. Right? Yes. So, you know, filmmakers should, you know, just be considerate of that. Yeah. That that's what we see, you know. It should be made illegal, mate. Like, <laughs> you should have to pay uh, incredible fines and, and things like that. Like, it should be frowned upon. Like, I know I, I'm being flippant, but I do believe that um, um, basically what happens is you've got a whole bunch of people that come together and manufacture a whole bunch of bits. And mm. then those bits go into a machine to create this thing. Mm hmm. And once that thing is created and set upon its way, mm. set out into the world, mm. then that's the snapshot in time. Yeah. And it should always remain that. And it should never be tampered with. And if you want to do it, then it has to be called part two or yeah, 2B yeah, or something. Yeah. But you should never own make it only that version that's available. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Ah, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like I should be able no, to totally have agree. the original director's uh, piece. Um Technology can catch up and make it sound better and all this stuff, but that you can't make it sound better. You mm. can't go back there and start t pulling stuff out and mm. adding stuff. It should be legal. You know, and Lucas is, of course, the worst at doing this kind of crap. Yeah. And Spielberg even, I think, removes shotguns and replaces them yeah. with walkie-talkies. Yeah. And he's not afraid yeah. to go back. And actually, if I think about it, there's a French artist... Oil paintings, losing his sight, but he doesn't know. He's losing his color vision, but he doesn't know. Mm. And so he paints, um, he paints some sort of scene or something or other, and um, the colors are all off. They're all out of whack, but they look right to him. Yeah, right. And when this gets pointed out to him, I can't remember who it is. But when this gets pointed out to him, he says, "Oh well, I'd better set fire to this piece of painting mm. and destroy it." Yeah. People are like, "No, don't fucking do that. That's mm. your vision. That's what you saw." Yeah, yeah. Anyway, all right. So let's bring this all together. Um, there is, yeah, amazing amount of technology going on. Uh, loads of really, you know, amazing people working on on all of this to bring it all together. Um, and it's got this kind of perfect storm going on. Um. And it's sort of technology up and down from the sound effects through to the to mm. the writing through to the to the rendering and everything, um, and the the innovative way it's put together, you know. And I think one of the the quotes, <laughs> the quotes from I think Stephen or Richard, is that 
no movie has ever been made like this and no movie will ever be made like this again yeah. <laughs> you know because yeah. it's just the hardest experience to go through it would have been a crazy time um with so many unknowns mm. because in any production you meet you you meet this point there's a, there's a line in the sand and mm. and all your pre-production and planning and and budgeting and meetings and all these things happen to get you to this point and then at some at that point somebody has to say we go mm. and when you go and the whole the success of the product is based on something that doesn't exist yet yeah that we have to invent on the fly mm. they've you know kudos first of all kudos because come on there's safer ways to make money you know there's 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 easier ways to sort of survive in in an industry that's pretty cutthroat so kudos there but man like you're still trying to tell a narrative story. Mm -hmm. You're still trying to actually entertain people mm -hmm. as well. And thank God all the planets lined up, mm. the right people were involved, mm. the timing was perfect, mm. enough was going on around it um, to justify that type of leap mm. of faith. Yeah, There was enough other stuff on the horizon. People, I think a lot of people recognised that this, this is a game changer. Mm. Mm. This digital stuff's going to be pretty big. Mm. And so... Early adopters um, were the risk takers, and then immediately after that, that's when business steps in and yeah, they start yeah, to invest. Yeah. This happened at that point. Mm. It didn't happen at, at like a lot of the tech that you, the guys in the white coats, they'd invented it. They were just waiting for somebody to come up with a reason to use it, mm. you know, mm. a way that they wanted to use it. Mm. Um, and that involves some, you know, yeah. I love the, I love the fact that. All of the planets aligned and something was created that actually changed the industry. Mm. One thing you didn't mention was how it was frowned upon by the Academy. Oh, yeah, that was one of my, my trivia things. And, yeah. and, yeah, this is a whole discussion in it itself. It was considered cheating. Yeah. Like yeah. some sort of uh, snake, snake oil peddling charlatan. Um, this is not filmmaking. You're cheating. Mm. And they got the computer to do it. And it's it's easy for us to look at that and go, Well, you're that's one of the most ridiculous things you could ever you could ever it's say. It's a handcrafted thing from start to finish and every single yeah. piece was like made by hand. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. when, you, when you think about it, like um a computing process is the input something goes in, it gets processed and then it comes out the other end. Well that's a camera. Mm. The only, yeah. the, but the processing's done chemically. Yeah. But it's same bloody thing. You put mm. something in, it gets processed, it comes out. Mm. So how they were able to justify that it was cheating and that it was not allowed. It was not allowed to be recognised by the Academy um, Awards, mm. not for any technical or creative, um, which was unfortunate. Uh, it, it, like you said, I think it's just a game changer and it just freaks people out. And it's just so outside of the realm of what people understand that they don't know how to classify it. And and obviously those filmmakers who are making those judgments about, you know, what should be in the Academy Awards or whatever, they've got no no idea how this was made and how this was put together and that sort of stuff. So they can't appreciate it. And it, and it's a very broken system. It's still even today. Mm. Um, they're, they're, they've, they've always been sort of a little bit out of touch. Mm. Um, I'm glad they're around, um, but... Yeah, there, there's always there's a lot of stories mm. about technology uh, innovation being brought into the process and being shunned and frowned upon by the um, the old school boys. Mm. You know, where they they just look at it and say, "I think what, deep down, it's okay." Well, 
my career's over mm. sort of thing. That's what yeah, they want to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. But instead they say, well, you know, it's the vinyl versus <clears throat> CD thing, <clears throat> the amount of times. You know, no, <clears throat> I started on vinyl and, <clears throat> and, and I like the sound of it, but come on, man. Like, <clears throat> if it's seriously in a dark room for you to play one and the other <clears throat> with a nice clean needle with a really expensive stylus, you know, on a nice turntable, I'm not going to tell the difference <clears throat> apart. I'm really not. And plus, I can record digitally that sound mm. i can i can record a vinyl record mm. and people say oh but it's the nuance yeah but i can record the nuance mm. um but it does have its downside as well digital um i love this quote so i was watching something and it was all about the recording studios the musical recording studios how they went to digital mm-hmm. over time they started to go to digital as well and um this guy said, okay, well, the reason I've got a problem with digital, and he's an old school boy, I think he recorded the Beatles and uh, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And he said, if you take a loaf of bread yep. and you cut it 45 times to make 40, 45 uh, slices of bread, 46 slices of bread, every slice I make, I'm taking out, if, if you were to measure the loaf of bread after I've made the 45 cuts, mm-hmm. it's shorter. Uh-huh, it's yeah. shorter by a crumbs, slice. By all the crumbs, yeah. Be- because I'm slicing yeah. into it, right? Yep. Now... His, his, what he's describing there is the sample rate, mm-hmm. the digital sample rate. Okay. When you sample, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're telling it, even though it's a very small amount of samples per second, mm-hmm. you still have to tell it to mm. make the slices. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. The bits in between the slices are gone. Mm. From when you're in front of the microphone with a guitar or something like that, when you're being recorded digitally, the bits in between the slices are gone. Now, if you set this sample rate really, really high... You can minimise that, yep. but you can never get rid of it completely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're yeah. actually getting rid of data. Yeah. So I, I understand that argument with mm. the digital side. Um, that's um, that's a very hearty, solid outing um, for <laughs> our first um, look at Tron. We might even look, come back and look at Tron as a pure artistic creative. Uh, like a narrative piece mm-hmm. now that we've looked at the, a lot of the tech yeah, yeah. like a, a lot of the milestones and maybe even with our good friend uh, Rick mm. uh, who's also a bit of a narrative buff mm. he's going to be joining us next week mm-hmm. he's going to come in and talk to us I think he's he was going to come in today but he is on a weekend story writing mm, um, cool. event yeah, or something yeah. like that um, so we'll pick his brain about that but also he wants to talk to you um, about No Man's Sky and his experience with yeah, No cool. Man's Sky so yeah. that'll be next week um, so we might leave it at that th- for this week mm-hmm. this this was a, uh, a Dan's outing which rightly so um, because you missed two shows um, you needed to bring it and and uh, and you certainly did so um, that's probably going to be uh, our show for the week Um uh, call to action. Um, I'd like to move up into the uh, noughties now mm. and find the. I want to find the best cult sci-fi movie from the noughties. Mm. Now that we've had a look at a couple of from the eighties, mm-hmm. I want to bring it up and and have a look at some of the uh, the more uh, recent stuff. So anything from two thousand on, yep. I think is is a rule, and we need to try to find the best. Um, cult sci-fi that has brought something because it feels like there's not a lot that's been brought for a mm. while mm. but it, sometimes you've got to look mm. before you can find and you'll find that there is quite a lot of stuff going on in the early 2000s there as well yep so we might even come back and have a look at that and i'll save my uh the stuff that i was going to uh, talk about this show till next week and we can have a look at that yeah cool awesome so if you'd awesome. like to sign us off 
Well, uh, our usual thing is like, save often. But for this one, as I did last week, we have to sign off with end of line. <laughs> <laughs>